This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyse the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. Hi, I'm Audrey Tan and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. Singapore wants to become a city in nature, but how can Lenskar Singapore strike a balance between development and conservation? Minister for National Development Desmond Lee explains how the government tries to achieve a win-win. We are stewards and in MND we have to make sure we care for all Singaporeans. But we have painted a vision of what Singapore was, is and wants to be. A city in nature, an upping of the ambition. In doing that cannot be a minority uh, interest. We have to make it something that all Singaporeans not just appreciate but cherish and steward. If we are to succeed, for all the reasons aforesaid, Singaporeans have expectations for quality of life and the standards continue to grow as it rightfully should, right? But yet Singaporeans are being more conscious about sustainability and that is that silver lining in the developmental pressures we face. And to strike that balance, you know, we cannot expand through land reclamation indefinitely. There are natural limits to that. But in that limited land that we have, we have to be very good stewards and try to balance all the needs and where possible, rather than see them as polar opposites to then find middle ground, though that remains necessarily a major decision process we have to make, but where we can try to drive win-win, right? So if you have to develop, let's try to develop intensively, maximise land in terms of our urban needs, plan well, but where you've had to urbanise spaces, not just intensify it. And my nature friends will have, of course, different views about this. You try to green it up as far as possible. So vertical green rooftop gardens, but live sustainably. So the building should be sustainable. So it's not green from a biodiversity point of view, but necessarily, because you replace a small patch of forest with a building, right? But live the sustainable lifestyle, whether it's work, play, live. And then through very determined efforts through the Nature Conservation Master Plan, and that's where within MND and within government, there is that healthy tension science and technology enable us to make good case. So Mandai Mangrove and Mudflat is what it is, or it will be what it will be, because we have agent-based modelling. And when we make some adjustments to the uh, natural as well as coastal landscapes, what will the source be and where will the sink be? And then we validate it down the line. Same for Sisters Island Marine Park. It is what it is in terms of its current status as a marine park because of science and data, where the uh, coral larvae, where the source and sink are. And then we make the case, and then we strike a balance. But as far as we can, we should try to you know, find more opportunities for win-win. So striking a win-win is of course the ideal situation for every development project. But with Singapore's forests getting more fragmented, do you think that more can be done to look at conservation not just on a per-project basis, but on a larger-scale landscape approach? I mean, for example, the construction of the new Tengah town on secondary forests has come under a lot of flack from the nature groups, who have wondered how effective the measures proposed will be in helping wildlife get from the forest in the west to the central nature reserves. So they point out that, for example, even though while there are measures like forest corridors within Tengah itself, these corridors may not necessarily provide enough connectivity to other forest patches because of the development around the development site. So how can we ensure that despite our urbanisation, wildlife can still find corridors to move from one forest patch to the next? 
yes, no, I agree with you. There are many lessons we continue to learn every time we develop. I mean, uh, you have been very uh, effective in pointing out some of these lessons that we have to continue to learn. Uh, you've seen how some of these things work, right? Rope bridges, culverts under roads to en enhance connectivity. We can make adjustments to the planting pallet, even the uh, green spaces we protect. All these still can be done, even as we continue to develop this Tengah Forest Town. So I think don't see that as entirely cast in stone. There are still opportunities to enhance the ecological connectivity in a way that will benefit the future residents of the United States. Just as in Bidadari, I'm not sure whether you recall, very early on, because when I joined MND, we brought NSS, the bird group, because they had pointed out certain hillocks that were very valuable as uh, landing zones for migratory birds. And then we, we found win-win solutions. Of course, there was some sacrifice in terms of the overall housing, massing, and number of units, but I think it's a good outcome. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now back to our conversation with Mr. Desmond Lee, Minister for National Development, on how Landscar Singapore will strike a balance between development and conservation. So Mr. Lee, you are well known and appreciated among the nature community for your efforts to foster greater consultation between them and the policymakers. So why is this something that's important to you? I have said it in Parliament in Budget, is it recently? I think I said it, about how some friends in the nature community have given very tangible examples of how they think, number one, engagement with agencies have in some instances improved and in some instances should continue to improve. And secondly, they've also cited to me instances where stronger coordination among developmental agencies can achieve better outcomes. You know, some years back, as part of Festival of Biodiversity, we started this uh, second piece where after FOB, we have different work groups. So imagine, so pangolin, right? They have for conservation of pangolin. So specific species that we want to do uh, species recovery efforts, including habitat enhancement. We bring the other planning agencies together. LTA, because for the potential for doing culverts. And parks because of the road bridges. URA, PUB for drains and all that, all in at the working level to make this happen. Because a lot of this at the micro level can make a real difference. It doesn't have to be all just big projects. Of course, those are important, but also on a day-to-day -day basis, when you lay new roads, do new drains, some of these elements can be incorporated in. But we have to make the effort. So that's interagency planning at the high level for big projects, but also at the micro level for the day-to-day. -day. Then in terms of the uh, willingness, the existence of skill sets, comfort, processes, to engage, engage early, engage deeply, engage in a spirit of partnership as co-stewards of all these things that we do. I think this continues to be work in progress. So it is not just the agency knowing how to engage better, it's also the relationships that the people in the agency build and establish and nurture so that there is trust. And when you trust and you have a relationship with someone not in your organisation, you are then more prepared to open up. I think that is the truth for everyone not just government agencies, but companies, NGOs too. Even in the social sector, those are the two points I keep repeating. Trust and relationships, not technology, not rules, not SOPs, not reorganizations. You can do a million of those, but if there's no trust born out of existence of a relationship that is nurtured, that is handed over when people leave, come and go, then you will not have it. As we saw in some instances, right? Agency has a good relationship, but when the person leaves and a new person comes in, you should not have to start from scratch. You should have that handover process. Because ultimately, organisations are collectives of people 
in an organized way, achieving a purpose. So agencies must have that emphasis. It must be in the DNA of organization. It must be driven by leadership and continued through leadership, right? the tone you set. It must be in the SOPs. You can have all of that and yet still not have genuine engagement, right? People can pay lip service. Your organization can tell you, oh, you must do this, 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 the boss says so. But you come in and unless you invite all of that, and unless you actually have a relationship with that person, you will feel very tentative. So on that part, certainly. I said it in Parliament in the budget. I think it was a one paragraph. I deliberately put it in that we have to continue that. And it takes two hands to clap. Both sides have to be prepared to uh, respect that bubble, build a trust, uh, and open up to each other. So I think some agencies have improved. I think even within MND, there are, there are opportunities to improve, not just the agency, but even departments within the agency. And I hope to set that example. What would you say to convince both sides to listen to one another? This is the future of governance in Singapore. It is enshrined in Singapore together. It is a commitment going forward to engage. Of course, it will not happen overnight. There are some strands of it that are very well established and mature and dynamic and forward-looking. There are many other areas where there's room for improvement and opportunities to start. But every sector, every issue, every topic has its stakeholders and they all differ in their attitudes, in their baggage, in their future orientation, in their commitment to want to engage. And there are, between the two extremes of, on the one hand, megaphone activism, right, where you have that kind of adversarial, everything is done in public, on social media using a megaphone or whatever app that you want to use, right? On the other hand, it's really all entirely a closed system, totally opaque. I think somewhere in between is that sweet spot that we want to work towards. It is uneven, but in a number of areas, there are bright spots that will continue to grow. And what I'd say to agencies and colleagues in government is to see in many of the areas of work that we undertake that we can come up with much stronger outcomes and better outcomes. And certainly the ownership of the outcomes will be far stronger if you engage. So you must see the benefits of that because we have no monopoly on knowledge. There is a lot of expertise and experience out there and you shouldn't see it's out there. It is in Singapore. It's in here. It's Singaporeans and friends of Singapore who want to contribute their expertise and their experience. And we see that not as government but governance. But then, once you have encapsulated that, then you have to see how to do it. And if your planning cycle is so short, or if you only open up too late, and you've cooked everything and you put it out there, you will naturally, because of time pressure and all that, and your budgeting cycle, not be quite in that frame of mind to want to chop and change and overhaul. But if you engage much earlier, you... But first, you see, you must trust, you see. If I go and tell you I'm going to have this idea, and especially if it's market-sensitive, it's going to be price sensitive to, I don't know, stocks and shares and properties, value and all that. I think we can genuinely understand why not just agencies, but also private entities shroud things in some secrecy until it is ready for a levelness in its playing field, you see. But if you don't have, you don't know the person, you don't know the organisation, you don't know the people in the organisation, I think not just government, I think anyone will have hesitation opening up because of all these worries and considerations. But if you have a relationship, and you, of course you must keep growing the number of relationships that you have with civil society and stakeholders, then at least you build that understanding of oh, this group can be trusted. They have strong views, even contrary views, but most importantly, fundamentally, they will keep the trust. They will keep the faith and discuss in a way that advances the overall interests and outcomes. But this is something we are trying to develop. I mean, many other countries are not like that. You know, they adopt the adversarial stance. 
uh, we are trying to evolve a range of engagement mechanisms along the way. That was Mr. Desmond Lee, Minister of National Development, on the perennial tussle between development and conservation. For more stories on sustainability, do check out the stories in The Straits Times. That's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.